Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for being at Christ Church today. And uh, let me just say a thank you as well for uh, letting me come and be with you in this way again this morning. And, uh, you know, right now uh, I am uh, with a group of our people and uh, we have pushed off and we are making our way over the water uh, up at the Boundary Waters and uh, just setting out this morning for a great week of just being in God's creation and being able to study the word together and grow in relationships. So uh, just ask you to pray for us as we're up there because we are out in the wilderness and uh, there's uh, no opportunity for the cell phones to work or anything like that. So uh, just pray for our safety and there would be a powerful, uh, powerful time for us there. Uh, hey, let me also just say what an incredible week uh, we had this last week here at Christ Church and uh, our Kingdom Rock week, our family week, just an incredible week of being able to be together and impact kids and uh, adults as well. And so a uh, big word of thanks to uh, all of our staff and especially to all our volunteers. Everybody just really poured out a lot uh, to, to make that happen. And you can see by the stage around here today, the platform, uh, what a awesome uh, set we had and uh, that's just uh, gives you an insight into the incredible week we have and i know today as you're together in worship you're going to get a chance to be able to enjoy some of those songs and participate and uh, hope you will hope you just stand up get wild for a little while at the end when we do some kingdom rock things well for uh, our message this morning talking together this morning uh, we are in a series called storied past and uh, what we're doing is looking at some of those uh, some of those stories that uh, Jesus told that just you know we all know by and large that it's really important to us and and obviously they continue to be relevant and and insightful to us uh, in our day to day as much as the first time uh, that Jesus shared them and uh, today's one of those stories uh, it is the story of the Good Samaritan now I suspect the uh, the Good Samaritan story is uh, one of those stories that uh, everybody. Uh, is familiar with. So just go ahead and raise your hands if you know the Good Samaritan story, okay? All right, looks like a ton of people raise their hands. I'm just kidding. You, I'm not, you can't see that. The chairs are all empty where I am right now, but I know you're going along with it. I know you're doing it, and all you people out there raise your hands, right? Okay, so if somebody didn't raise their hand next to you, just give them a bump and, and uh, interpret for them as we go. Uh, it also means that as we uh, walk through the story this morning, going to be really important again that you uh, grab out your message sheet uh, that was in your insert and you follow along on that uh, on that message seat okay uh, sheet because we got some other other scripture to influence you with this morning and just give you some greater insight into the story so go ahead and pull out that message sheet and be able to follow along so uh, let's jump jump right into it the good samaritan it's just a, a really powerful story for us and uh, it's so common in our culture to refer to the Good Samaritan story. I mean, we have uh, laws on the books uh, that refer to as the Good Samaritan laws. So this this uh, parable, this story, uh, is so relevant that it's really infiltrated our culture in uh, in lots of different ways. Uh, now, to understand the Good Samaritan story and uh, what Jesus, the relevancy of what Jesus is saying here, you really have to back up a little bit. You've got to kind of back up before he starts telling the story and get the context of what's going on when he shares the story. Uh, and so that really starts when you go back to verse uh, 25. So if you want to pull your sheet out and uh, just watch with me here, in uh, verse 25 it says, One day an authority on the law stood up to put Jesus to the test. 
Teacher, he asked, what must I do to receive eternal life? So once again, we get the experience where Jesus is out there doing his ministry, and uh, you know, a young, bright, smart guy uh, decides to put him to a test, the teacher of the law. And so uh, this is not uh, a lawyer in the sense that we understand practicing law today, not a legal sense, but this is a person who is learned uh, in the first five books in particular of the Old Testament. And he knows those books frontwards and backwards. He knows what God's Word says. And so he comes to Jesus and he's trying to trip him up. He's trying to put him to the test to verify whether he's really worthy, whether he really understands the law or not, uh, whether he's really a rabbi that one can trust and uh, listen to. So he comes uh, with an agenda. And he asks a good question. Uh, so his question is a relevant and good question. But his attitude and his intention before the question, not so much. But if we just look at the question, we can see, good question. So what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Meaning, well, what do I have to do in order to continue to understand that I'm part of those people that, that have that guarantee of life with God forever? Uh, and so Jesus, in natural Jesus style, rather than just giving a thesis about this is what you do, step one, step two, step three, step four, in natural Jesus style, he flips the question around, comes back to the lawyer and says, well, what is written in the law? You're a lawyer. You know the law. You tell me, right? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you understand it? He personalizes the question. Now it's not just a question of, the letter of the law, but now it becomes a question of belief. It becomes a heart question, not just a head question. Not just a, well, what does the law say, and uh, step one, two, three, four, but so what do you think? Where are you at on this? Where, where's your heart on this? And so the lawyer responds, and, and he responds well. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, Love him with all your strength and with all your mind. That's out of Deuteronomy. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's out of Leviticus. And so this guy, he's a good lawyer. He knows the law. And Jesus hears what he says. says, look, you've answered correctly. Do that and you'll live. This guy got it right. I mean, as, as the story starts out, as the, the interaction, the experience starts out, the guy gets it right. That, that he understands from the Old Testament this, this principle that you, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, that you just surrender everything that you are to Him. And then because you do that, because you're receiving everything God wants to bring into your life, you willingly pour that out into others' life. That you become the conduit, that you become the channel through which God pours into other people's life. And so it's that relationship that goes like this, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And it's that relationship that goes like this, right? And, and you can't have one without the other. You, you can't live that life that's just me and God. It's just me and God, just me and God. No, he gets it right. Yeah, it's me and God, but because it's me and God, it's got to be me and other people. I love the Lord my God, but then I pour myself out into the life of other people. And it's not surprising he knows this. It's not, this. It's not only Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but, you know, you can go to Deuteronomy 15, and you can see it there, it's where it says, So give freely to those who are needy. Open your hearts to them, 
Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. He will bless you in everything you do. There will always be poor people in the land. So I'm commanding you to give freely to those who are poor and needy in your land. Open your hands to them. And, and so it's clear. I mean, here's a command that God is just saying in Deuteronomy, look, this, this is the way it is. You, you're in a broken world. You're, you're going to have people who are needy. You're going to have folks who are, who are struggling. And, and you need to be generous because you're my people. Not just some people. You're my people. And, and as you do that, as you're generous, you've got to understand, as you live out what I command... I'm going to be generous too. There is this generosity factor where we're living generous with other people and God is living generous with us. Because God is living generous with us, we are freely generous with other people. So if we could just kind of stop right there with the story, we'd be in great shape. The lawyer would be in great shape and everything would be absolutely great, right? The only problem is we wouldn't hear the story of the Good Samaritan. And the only problem is that's not where the lawyer stopped. The text says in verse 29, But the man wanted to make himself look good. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? There's the problem. There's the hitch. So he's done really good. And then he just kind of mucks it up. You know, he just kind of gets his self-interest involved. And, and he asks a qualifying question. He's saying, okay, so I'm, so I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but wait a minute. Can I put parameters around who my neighbor is and therefore who my neighbor isn't? Can, can I put parameters around who my neighbor is? If I can put parameters around who my neighbor is and say, okay, well, this is who I'm supposed to love or this is who I'm supposed to be generous with, it means I free myself up so I don't have to be generous with these people. I don't have to care about or love these people over here because these are my neighbor. And so he he asks that follow-up question that's all about self-interest. Now, now the irony is the text says that he asked the question because he wanted to make himself look good. And the problem is all he does is show how far away he is from Christ, how far away he is from the truth of understanding God's generosity. He wants to make himself look good, and instead, he tries to lay this this kind of principle down of, look, I want to make sure that I love the right people, but I don't need to love the wrong people. So, Jesus tells him the story. And man, it is a doozy. I mean, it is a story. Now remember, the guy who is asking the question is a learned man in the law. He is a Jew among Jews. And Jesus begins to tell him a story. And in the story, as you'll see, the hero, the hero, the hero is totally unexpected. Let's get to it. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Robbers attacked him. They stripped off his clothes and they beat him. Then they went away, leaving him almost dead. That kind of highlighted that for you, almost dead. So this guy is going the 17 miles. It's a 17-mile journey uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. But it's a treacherous journey. It's a tough 17 miles, right? I mean, this this highway, this pathway from from, uh, Jerusalem to Jericho uh, was known as the way of blood. 
I mean, it was just a treacherous way. Robbers were always on this, on this road because it was just an easy place to get ambushed. It was 17 miles, but it was 17 miles of a drop of elevation of 3,000 feet. And so you can kind of get that picture of understanding this wasn't some big, wide open highway. This was a place that was winding and curving, and it allowed for robbers to create all kinds of ambush points uh, along the way. And so this man is ambushed. And they, they beat him, and they strip him, take his clothes, and rob him, obviously, and then they just leave him there. And notice, the text says they leave him almost dead. Not dead, but almost dead. The story goes. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A Levite also came by, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side too. But a Samaritan came to the place where the man was. When he saw the man, he felt sorry for him. Now, notice in the text. Notice that the three folks come by and they, they see the man. The trouble is, two out of the three don't really see him. I mean, that is, they come by and they may see him with their eyes, but they don't really see them with any kind of heart of compassion. They just come by and they see the man lying there. And, and well, one was a priest and, and one was a Levi. I mean, they're both, you know, again, religious leaders. I mean, they're the ones that are at the temple and they're leading worship in the temple. And, and they come by and they see the man, but they don't really see the man. I mean, they maybe see their self-interest. They maybe see, look, listen, I'm a leader, and I'm, gonna, I'm in the temple, and if I touch the man, I'm going to be spiritually unclean, and so I, you know, I just can't get involved. I, I just can't get involved. It, it's just too big a risk for me. If I'm spiritually unclean, then I can't lead worship. And, and I'm sure as they were looking at the man, they weren't really seeing the man. What were they seeing? They were seeing the inconvenience. They were seeing the inconvenience. Out of the three who come and see the man, there's only one who really sees the need. He sees the need. And it says in the text that he not only sees him, but he felt sorry for him. You see, the man is moved. Now, the Greek word that lies behind that word, feeling sorry, that phrase feeling sorry, it's just a strong Greek word, and it, and it talks about that, that feeling uh, from your guts, right? And it's, you know, kind of gross image here, but, you know, it talked about intestines. I mean, it's the idea that, man, this guy just had a, a groaning gut feeling, and he was just captured by seeing the need and the crisis that this person uh, was in. And, and so he responds. Why does he respond? Because he sees the need. He sees it. He feels it. He's moved by it. He sees the need. He, he doesn't just see an inconvenience. He, he doesn't just see a problem and, boy, this is going to really cause a problem and going to interrupt my day and this is going to really mess this up or mess that up. He sees the man in the situation for what it is and he authenticates and he looks and he understands this is a crisis. This is a person who is truly in need. I mean, there wasn't any question about whether the, 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 the guy who's lying there was in need or not, right? He's lying there, and he is half dead. What's the takeaway? Well, you know, there's a great lesson here for us, isn't there? I mean, the, the reality is, is how many folks who are around us every single day are half dead? 
I mean, think about that. How, how many folks are half dead? I mean, they're not really alive. They're not really living life. They're not really living the way, the way Christ would have them live, right? They're not, they're not on board what, what, it, what it means to be alive in the gospel and, and to understand the generosity of what God has done for them in Christ. And so they're just kind of walking through life and, and they're going into crisis. And, and man, they're just living half dead lives. And so their marriages are half dead, and their relationships and their families are half dead. And you, you go, I mean, name it, right? They're just kind of living half-dead lives. They're all around us. You see, the challenge of the parable is, do you see? Do you have those eyes, that sensitivity that looks beyond the inconvenience and instead sees the opportunity? Half-dead people are a huge opportunity. Because we're called to help them understand what it means to be alive. Here's the challenge. Really seeing people and seeing their crisis and seeing their situation and understanding, hey, they're half dead, but I can do something about it. And that's the call to the gospel. In Matthew 25, when Jesus, it describes Jesus coming back and the sheep and the goats and the separation and gathering, when he describes the people who are the sheep, those who are going to spend eternity with him, he says, then the king will speak to those on his right. He'll say, my father has blessed you. Come and take what is yours. It is the kingdom prepared for you since the world was created. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you gave them to me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. What's he saying? You saw me. You saw me. I mean, you, you took the time to notice me. And, and not just notice me, but notice the need. Notice the situation, the crisis. Notice the place in my life where I was half dead. I mean, that's the call for us as Christ followers is, is to be so alive in Christ that, that we pour out into other people's lives and we see them. We really see them. We, we, we see those places in people's lives where they're just half living. And we're ready to do what it takes to be able to get in there. And, and that's really uh, the next section. you know. And, and Paul invites us to have this on us all the time, this attitude about us all the time. He says, you are God's chosen people. You are holy and dearly loved. So put on tender mercy and kindness as if they were your clothes. It's like put it on all the time. But, but now I've got to tell you, and, and Jesus in the parable, he, in the story, he makes it really clear. This is not an easy thing. This is costly. We've we got to be upfront about that. See, doing what he wants in the parable, this is costly. Being that kind of Christ follower is absolutely costly. In the parable, it says, he went to him, the Samaritan, he went to him, poured olive oil and wine on his wounds and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins. He gave them to the owner of the inn and said, take care of him. When I return, I'll pay you back for any extra expense you may have. The, the Samaritan was willing to pay the cost. Now, I got to tell you, this had to really grind the gears of this lawyer who is this, you know, learned Jew, and, and he has to listen to Jesus tell a story about a good Samaritan. I mean, that's like, for, for a Jew in, in Jesus' day, that's like an oxymoron. I mean, the, the possibility that a Samaritan could be good was like remote, impossible. And yet he has to face that here is a Samaritan who's ready to pay the cost. 
He's ready to pay the cost. He's ready to do what it takes to sacrifice what he needs to sacrifice in order to take somebody who's half dead and make them fully alive. That's the call. Can't get away from it. That's the call. In fact, Jesus, I mean, he just gets really harsh and, and really makes it clear. In Luke 14, I mean, this is in-your-face stuff in Luke 14, okay? Look at that. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He turned, he spoke to him, he said, anyone who comes to me must hate his father and mother. He must hate his wife and children. He must hate his brothers and sisters. He must hate even his own life. Unless he does, he can't be my disciple. Anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. Suppose someone wants to build a tower. Won't he sit down first and figure out how much it's going to cost? Then he'll see whether he has enough money to finish uh, to finish it. Suppose he starts building and he's not able to finish. Then, then everyone who sees what he's done will laugh at him. They'll say, this fellow started to build, but he wasn't able to finish. And, and then he does the same thing with the guy going out the battle. He's got 10,000, the other guy's got 20. Well, you better know whether you can pay the cost, whether you're going to be able to fight and win, right? Otherwise, sue for peace. And then he ends up and he says, look, in the same way, you must give up everything you have. If you don't, you can't be my disciple. Wow. Wow. I mean, that is, I mean, he's like, Either Jesus is Lord of everything, right? Or he's not. I mean, that's, that's the call in our life. When, when, you, when you surrender to Christ in that relationship, remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. When you surrender to that relationship, it means you surrender absolutely everything. Everything. And because... Jesus has given up everything for you. He surrendered everything to go to the cross for you so that you can not be half dead but fully alive and abundant living. And, and that's, where our, that's where our prosperity comes. That's, I mean, getting so full of that presence of Christ in our lives, knowing that God is going to take care of us and provide for us, and he's going to continue to bless us. That he's just going to continue to do whatever it takes to bring that opportunity to our lives. And because that's true... We, we can do what he asks. We can see those people in need, and we can respond. And, and it goes back to the Old Testament. I, uh, Isaiah 58 says this. Share your food with hungry people. Provide homeless people with a place to stay. Okay? Give naked people clothes to wear. Oh, good. Okay. But now look at this. Provide for the needs of your own family. Don't ignore your own family. Then the light of my blessing will shine in you like the rising sun. Did you catch verse 8? then the light of my blessing will shine on you like the rising sun. How often does the sun rise? How often does the sun shine? I mean, what, what's he saying? Listen, this, we get this, right? We, we get this, that the cost is so small. The cost really is so small compared to what God wants to bring into our life. That, that if we just live in that incredible relationship with him and we just open up and we see that need, we respond to that need, we try to reach half-dead people, we just pour it out and pour it out. That God will continue to pour it in and pour it in. I mean, here's a little thing. I mean, it's kind of interesting to me, if you look at our culture, um, that a lot of us go to restaurants and we go out to eat at night and, uh, you know, the check comes and, and uh, what do you do? You figure out the tip and, let's see, what's the, what's the usual tip these days? Right? 20%? You know, I always like to go a little higher than that because uh, I'm a Christian and I want to make a good witness with my generosity. But, you know, 20%, I mean, that's kind of normal, right? 
And how many of us have a hard time when, when you hear me up here saying, listen, it's offering time, take it serious, bring your tithe, bring your 10%. I mean, isn't that ironic? I mean, the call of the gospel is, I mean, 10% is just a small piece of our willingness to give our whole life. Say, God, we're no, we, don't, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. You are absolutely everything. Why can we do that? Because we know, we believe, we trust. God is everything. He's everything. And he'll give us everything we need and more. And he'll give us what we need to take care, to see those in need and pay the cost, to get involved in the cost. I mean, look what happened at Christ Church. Holy cow, we've got missionaries on the ground right now in Ethiopia. And we know their names. And they are opening up a center over there for us. That's incredible. And we can do that. And we can do it again, and we can do it again. We can do it in Milwaukee, and we can do it, you know, we can do it around the world. Because God is always going to honor us when we're doing his work. He's always going to provide for that. And because his name is at stake. You see, what we get from the story is understanding equally, that's our witness. That's our witness. This Samaritan is making an incredible witness. And so the lawyer struggles with what, what Jesus is saying here. And, and Jesus gets in his face again now and, and just says, so what's the answer? Which of the three do you think was the neighbor to the man who attacked, was attacked by robbers? And, and the lawyer uh, says, well, the one who felt sorry for him. And Jesus said, yeah, absolutely. So go and do as he did. Put on those clothes. Put on mercy, compassion, kindness, love. Do that because that's what you're called to do. If you look at 1 John 3, 1 John 3 just is real clear for us as Christ follows. It says, we know what love is because Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Don't miss that. That's the beginning point. See, we know what love is because we know our sins have been forgiven. We know what love is because we know Jesus gave up everything. We know what love is because we know what it is to live in relationship with Christ. We know what love is. And because we know what love is, we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. Suppose someone needs, sees a brother or a sister in need and is able to help them. If he doesn't take pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, don't just talk about love. Put your love in action. Then it will truly be love. That's how we know. That's how we know that we hold to the truth. That's our witness. That's the difference we make in the world. People, people can't understand the generosity of God's people. They can't understand it. That's the difference we make when we confront the world being the most generous people we can possibly be. When we confront the world and we live in exactly the opposite way the world lives and we just live as those incredible, generous people. And that's the story. That's the story. And that's why this this storied past experience of the Good Samaritan is so relevant for us today. Because the need, there are all kinds of half-dead people walking around us. There are all kinds of half-dead people who live in Milwaukee and, and in this area. There are all kinds of half-dead people who live over in Addis in Ethiopia. There are all kinds of half-dead people. And we're the answer. Christ Church. We're the answer because we know the generous nature of God. We know how incredible 
God has been in our lives. And because we know that, we live that impactful life that's generous. We pay the cost because we've already given everything that we are to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. What a, what a powerful story. What a powerful challenge for us to just live that life that you call us to live and to be the people you want us to be. And uh, Lord, we don't want to set uh, parameters out there. We don't want to put barriers on who our neighbor is. Uh, we want to just be the people that make a difference in the world. We know you've called Christ Church to do that. We know it. There's no doubt in our minds and our hearts that, that we have an opportunity to be an incredible place to impact uh, the world and to impact the Milwaukee area and this area and just to be that church of influence. And we know it's going to come because we're a generous people, because we understand your generosity. And we know you hold nothing back from us, and because of that, we'll hold nothing back from accomplishing your purposes. So we ask for your blessing now in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thanks, guys. You have an awesome week, and we'll see you next week. I'll be here next week. Bye.